Friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Dennis Parish. When Jesus told his parables, he didn't give them names. The names for the parables were given later by Christians as they referred to them. And this third parable of the three we hear today has commonly been referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. And yet when we really look at the story carefully, the story is more about the relationship between the father and the older brother, the very end of the story. And to really understand it, we need to look at the context in which Jesus told these three parables. First of all, the Pharisees were there. Jesus was meeting with tax collectors and all sorts of other sinners and people who were major sinners, people who were doing really wrong things so badly that they had been thrown out of the people. People were to shun them. You're such sinners, just be out of our sight. People were to have nothing whatsoever to do with them. And the Pharisees were the religious teachers. They were the ones who were supposed to encourage all the people to follow the law and keep it, teach them what the law was and help them on their journey. And that would mean, especially when you had people who were major uh, violators of the law, to reach out to them and try to encourage them and bring them back in. But they didn't do that. Instead, they became judges. They took on God's authority and sat in judgment of them and said, you guys are sinners, you're out. You You guys over here, okay, you're all right, but you guys have nothing to do with them. And they, in fact, then made their job very easy. All they did was pat the good people on the back and condemn the sinners. And they weren't teaching the people. Jesus came along and started doing what they were supposed to be doing, teaching the people. And when they saw that, they should have rejoiced and said, isn't this wonderful? Somebody has finally been able to reach these people that we've tried and failed at reaching over and over again. But that's not how they responded. Instead, they became indignant. This guy eats with sinners. How dare he? Why should he talk about people like that? He should sit and talk with us. We're the good people. And so Jesus gives these three parables to them to explain to them that God's love is for all people, even, in fact, perhaps especially for the most wretched of sinners. And nobody is beyond the call to holiness, the, God, the call to being reformed in Christ, most especially those who are the furthest from him. And so he tells in the first two parables about, you know, the sheep that had been lost, the man who loses one sheep and the woman who loses a coin. And he basically says, if somebody would rejoice because they found a coin or a sheep, should not we rejoice when my father has found one of his beloved children who has wandered away and is now coming back? And then he gives them this big parable, the the one about the prodigal son, to show them the Lord's love for even his most sinful of people. And he talks about a man having two sons. And he doesn't deny that the younger son has done something seriously wrong any more than he denies that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and all the other sinners, whatever they were that were there, that yes, they had done something seriously wrong. He wasn't making light of it and saying, oh, just leave them alone. No, he was calling them to conversion. But he wanted the Pharisees to rejoice at their conversion rather than to condemn them. And so he tells this parable. And let's look first at the younger son that we call the prodigal son. Now, he heard his father big time. Let's look more closely at exactly what he said to him. He says to the father, man was obviously a wealthy man. And he says, father, give me the the share of my estate that is to come to me. In effect, 
What he said to his father was, Father, I don't love you. I don't care about you. You mean nothing to me. The only thing that matters to me is the money I'm going to inherit when you finally die. And you know what? I don't even want to have to wait until you die to get the money. Can't you just give it to me now so I can spend it? What an insult. What a slap in the face of his father and a rejection of all the wonderful and good things the father had done for him all of those years. And the father maybe would have been perfectly justified to say to him, you ingrate, how dare you? And maybe just disinherit him right there and throw him out. But he didn't. He did what the son asked. He divided up his money between them. And sure enough, while the older brother stays, the younger brother runs away. And we know the story. He spends it all frivolously. And then the famine breaks out. He has no money left. And now he has to provide for himself and do what so many rich kids have had, you know, the the fear that they'd have to do in their life. And that was work for a living. So he has to go out and actually find a a job, you know, and work. He obviously doesn't have skills, so he goes and does the only thing he can do, feeding pigs. Now, which doesn't take any skill, you know, to throw slop to pigs in a pen. But also remember that pigs were unclean animals. Jews did not eat pork, and they didn't raise them. So he was outside of Israel. He was there somewhere in a pagan country feeding unclean animals, and the unclean animals were eating better than he was. And looking at that, he would long to eat even the pods that pigs eat. Imagine if you were to watch pigs being thrown their food and say, oh, that food looks so good. I want to eat it. I wish somebody would let me eat it. That's how bad off the man was. And then Jesus says that line, coming to his senses at last. He grew up. He matured. He repented at that moment and realized, thinking of what he had at his father's house, even my hired hands. My father's hired hands had more than enough food to eat, let alone what I had as his son. He says, it would be better for me to be my father's hired hand than to be his son. And he pretty much figures, I've lost the ability to be his son. Once he realizes the insult he's done to his father, no, I've lost that ability, but maybe my father in his mercy will allow me even to be a hired hand for him. So he goes back to make amends with his father. And then we see the father. I've always imagined the father being a man who obviously we see how worried he is about his son. Looking at the horizon, maybe every morning when he wakes up, every night before going to bed, the first thing and the last thing every day, looking to the horizon, looking for the sign of his son, hoping that maybe one day he will see his son returning. And day after day after day, nothing. Until finally that one day, he's looking on the horizon and sees his son coming back to him. Now, the father could have just stood there and waited for the son to come to him. And in fact, Jewish protocol, the father should have waited there while the son came up and kissed the hem of his garment. And he could have stood there and just with his arms folded, tapping his foot as the son comes up and says, So, you're back, huh? What's the matter? You went through all my money and now you just want more? Anything like that? Are you sorry or you're just back to milk me from everything else? He could have done that, but we hear, no, he didn't. When he was a long distance off, as soon as he realized it was his son, he broke all the protocols, ran out to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son goes into his well-rehearsed speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. The father just dismisses it. And he calls the servants, quick, bring the finest robe, put it on him, put sandals on his feet, rings on his fingers. My son is back, and he's healthy. 
and he throws a party and kills the fattened calf, which they say for only the best of events. The father has his son back, and that's all he cares about. He's ignored the insult. He's ignored anything like that. That doesn't matter to him. He has his beloved son back, and that's all he wants. And so the party takes place. Now the real heart of the parable. The older brother is out in the field working and he hears the music and dancing, which he realizes is out of line for the day. It's not meant to be. And he finds out what's happening. He's told his brother has returned and the father has uh, killed the fattened calf. And he should have rejoiced that his brother was back. Even if he didn't love his brother himself, he should have realized his father did and says, oh, dad must be so thrilled that Junior is back again, even if he didn't perfect particularly care for Junior. Well, Dad has him back. All right, I'm happy for him. I'll go in to celebrate with Dad. But he doesn't even show that love for his father. He gets annoyed. Huh, how come he gets a party and I don't? And the father comes out to the older brother and pleads with him to try to get him to come in. And what does the son say to him? He says something righteous. He's true what he says. I have worked for you all these years and never disobeyed one of your commands, yet you never even gave me a kid goat to celebrate with my friends, which would be something easy. But then when this son of yours returns, having gone through your money with prostitutes, who said anything about prostitutes? He made that up in his mind. He has in his mind the idea that his brother went out and was just living high off the hog and enjoying it, and maybe just figured, oh, I'll go home now and get more money. He knows nothing about the famine. He knows nothing about the conversion in his heart. He knows nothing about his younger brother has realized the harm he has done to his father and his righteous place at his father's side and that he has come home and repented. All he wants is the father to just reject him and throw him out and say, no, you should have nothing to do with him. But for him, you kill the fattened calf. Why, dad? That's not fair. And then I love the line the father says to the older brother afterwards. I've always tried to remember that in my own heart. If there should ever be a time that I'm wondering why God hasn't given me something, I remember that line. My son, you are with me always. and Everything I have is yours. How often I find myself thinking of God saying to me, Father, you are with me always. And everything I have is yours. And he reminds the brother of that. He says, but we must rejoice and celebrate because not just that son of mine, but your brother, your brother, you have a responsibility and a relationship with him. Your brother was lost and is found. And Jesus ends the parable there. He doesn't tell us whether the older brother went into it because he's addressing that directly to the Pharisees, hoping to get them to understand you should be rejoicing that these sinful people have been found and are coming home to the Lord, rather being indignant that these sinful people have now found God again. Did they do it? We don't know. But that's the beautiful message of this powerful parable. And for us as human beings, I think we're both meant to look at both brothers and identify with them at one point or another. All of us have been the prodigal son at some point. We've all sinned. There's not a person here who has never sinned, never had a reason to have to go to confession, never had a reason to turn to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me for what I've done. Maybe some of us might say too too many more times than we ever even want to acknowledge, but we've needed that. And maybe sometimes we don't feel our Father could forgive us for the crimes and the sins that we have committed, and yet he does. 
over and over and over again. His divine mercy, I'm looking at the painting of it that we have in the back of our church. His mercy for each and every one of his children, no matter how serious our sins of the past may have been, as long as we're sorry for them and bring them to him, he forgives us and he forgets about them. Says, let's just leave them in the past and now let's just move on with the relationship of a father and child that we're meant to have. So all of us to remember, if the father could forgive the prodigal son, how much more will God forgive us our sins that often were not rejecting God, but just falling to human weakness. But then we also have to make sure we're never like the older brother. And I'm sure we all meet people who are like that. And perhaps we might honestly have to say, you know, sometimes I'm like that older brother too. Sometimes we hear stories, for example, of really big sinners in the world, you know, mafia dons and things who have killed loads of people and all the crime and everything. And then they're diagnosed with cancer and they call for a priest to receive anointing of the sick. And some people rejoice and say, hey, maybe even only when he finally realized he was about to stand in judgment before the Lord that he got scared and said, maybe I need the Lord and reached out. But other people get annoyed. They go their whole lives committing all these sins and just think they're going to call a priest before they die and God's going to just forget everything. Well, they're sitting in the role of judgment. They are taking upon themselves God's role of judging, which is meant for God and God alone. And you and I can never be in judgment of another soul. Even if we acknowledge that somebody has sinned, we must never be the one to decide whether or not we think they're going to heaven or not for what they've done. That's God's decision. And we want God sometimes to be just right here and now. Give people the punishment for what they've done. What we're in effect wanting to do is have God bring his final judgment here and now. And he says, no, it will happen, but not today. Today, our time in this life is the time for mercy. He reaches out to us over and over again, day after day after day, to call us back from our sins, even if we commit them repeatedly, even if we're struggling to try to follow him. He reaches out to us in mercy each and every day because he's a God of divine mercy. He loves us so much. He wants all of his children with him in heaven. But he's also a God of justice. And when we die and stand before him, we stand in judgment and he will be perfectly just. As we hear, he will give to each of us good or bad according to our deeds in life. And again, when he returns in glory on the last day for the final judgment. So basically he's saying, come to me now and receive my mercy so that you don't need to receive my judgment when you stand before me, that when you stand before me, all will have been forgiven and I will be able to bring you into my kingdom. And so you and I are called to make sure we do that in our own lives, but then also worry about the lives of everybody, of all people, remembering that God's love is not just for the saints, not just for the good people, but even for the most wretched, even the Adolf Hitlers and the Joseph Stalins of the world, even they are God's beloved children, and he's trying to reach out to them, perhaps hoping against hope that they might turn around. And so when we see people that are doing things that we know are even seriously wrong, living a life, and not just talking about people who commit a sin once in a while, but people who are living a life that clearly isn't consistently in contrast with the life that Christ calls us to live, most especially if those are baptized individuals who at least in some way have known that God is calling them to holiness and instead are living a life of worldliness, that we pray for them, Lord, 
reach into their hearts. Send someone, if it can be myself, send me to do something to help those people realize what they're doing wrong, that they are not accepting your call to salvation, that they will not fare very well when they stand before you in judgment if they do not repent of it now. Please, Lord, call those people away from their sins. Let somebody go to them before it's too late for them. And if we find a situation where we hear that somebody has done that, has left great sin behind and reconverted to the Lord, then rejoice exultantly, remembering that Jesus says there is great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And be joyful here on earth because we have truly desired the salvation of all souls as Jesus does. He desires the salvation not only of the Blessed Mother and the great saints and of the regular practicing people such as ourselves, but even of the most wretched sinners, even the most prodigal of sons, are called back to God's loving embrace. And when they do, rejoice, because on that day there is great joy in heaven. May Jesus Christ be praised, now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.